Iron Sword, Wizards and Warriors 2, the saga of Wizards and Warriors trademark continues. Welcome to Nostalgia, a chronological exploration of every NES game released in North America. I'm Mike. I'm Sean. And I'm Joe. Wizards and Warriors 2, or just Iron Sword, your choice, uh, because it's, it's oddly not Wizards and Warriors 2 Iron Sword, it's Iron Sword, Wizards and Warriors 2. Before we talk about this sequel at all, though, do we remember Wizards and Warriors 1 from 154 episodes ago? It's very vague. Yeah. I remember there was a there was a suit of armor and a wobbly sword. I remember there were a lot of trees and it was sometimes unclear what you could jump on. <laughs> These are all things we also mentioned in the episode, so that's good. And uh, we're not going to talk too much about Wizards and Warriors 1 here because there's a whole episode for that, uh, guys. So if you're, if you're like, wait, what were your opinions? Go back to that episode and then come here and join us right now. Okay, so you listen to the episode, and you're in here now for Wizards and Warriors 2 talk. Uh, Wizards and Warriors 2 is technically, like, listed as made by Rare, but it wasn't made by them. I think it was made by a company called Zippo Games, who, uh, like... Like the basically lighters? Submitted... No, 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 that'd be interesting. Yeah. Uh, just to... They just unfortunately named themselves something that would be confused with the lighter company. But <laughs> Zip... Zippo Games is was a um, also a UK-based development studio, and I think they like pitched a prototype thing to Rare, and Rare was like, "Oh, this is great! You guys want to make the sequel to Wizards and Warriors 2, one of our very first games on the NES?" And that feels like a like a you know a lot to give to somebody who just showed you a prototype <laughs> of something. Is like, "Hey, have our IP and make it for us instead of us because we're busy working on Wheel of Fortune Junior Edition." Yeah, that is weird. I mean, it. I mean, going back to how, what I remember about like wizards and warriors one this doesn't seem to be too much of a departure so it's weird that like another company would be showing their like here's our prototype like you already did this like it's basically the same thing but this is how we did it can we do this like that it just sounds odd yeah maybe it was like okay we are we're done with that we're we're moving on to something else so all right let's let these other guys take a shot at it like you know i feel like 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 Pokemon does that now, where it's like Game Freak is making like some, you know, Game Freak is making like a, a newer departure from Pokemon. So they like gave a lot of the remakes or and stuff to like some other company. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and Rare did this first off, just, just to make it clear, like there used to be a limit on how many games a developer was allowed to release on Nintendo consoles like for a year. But Nintendo was in such good standing with Rare that the loophole was is that they just had to keep publishing them under different studios. So Rare couldn't be the publisher, but they could develop as many games as they wanted for the year as long as they could get Acclaim, Game Tech, Milton Bradley, whoever else. Uh, Acclaim did this one, but whoever could publish their games for them, they exceeded the amount of games allowed per year to do that. So that's why we keep hearing about Rare, because they're just churning them out and, you know, they also have, like, shadow companies making the games for them. What would the thinking behind having a, a limit per company of how much you can release? Like, wh- that that sounds like that sounds like a holdover from the crash. Yeah, I was thinking the crash, uh, too. 
That makes sense. Just to make sure that there aren't, you know, 1,000 NES games after only three years of, you know, being in a console, and then all of a sudden nobody wants to buy Super Mario Brothers because there's 400 clones. Yeah, making sure that they're also probably making sure that the companies are putting out, like, quality over quantity effort. And yeah, get that, get that seal. Exactly. The official <laughs> Nintendo seal. And Iron Sword Wizards and Warriors 2 also has probably one of the most prolific covers uh, for any NES game. That's Fabio oh, yeah. on the front cover oh, there. Yeah. It's perfect. <laughs> I love it. It's not how I picture the Fabio is not what I picture underneath the suit of armor on the sprite art at the game. Oh no, not at all. And and like I just sort of like forgot about Fabio. Like I know that he was on the cover of a lot of like paperback uh like smut books that you that you'd buy in like a your mom would buy in a supermarket or something. Um but I did not know that he was on any video game cover. <laughs> this was a treat. And Joe, to your point about uh, you know the character, the player character, and stuff like that, I feel like that's also uh, applicable to the romance novels that Fabio was also taking part in. You don't picture, maybe the woman does, but like you don't picture <laughs> Fabio as the character. He's just on the cover. So like again, I mean, why? Here, that doesn't mean anything. Like the people, the person reading the book <laughs> would picture Fabio. I would imagine I <laughs> if he's on the cover, you assume that that's what he looks like, right? Like. Under the armor. Well, well, I didn't look at the cover before I started playing this game. Admittedly, okay. I I guess I'm just saying, like, sure, it could be Koros or it could just be anybody, right? He's, the guy has an iron sword. He fits the bill for the cover. Yeah, Fabio is pretty much an everyman. Thank you for that. <laughs> so Malkil is back, and uh, for those, it sounds so funny that we're like saying these things as matter of fact. When if you didn't play Wizards and Warriors one, that doesn't mean anything. Malkil was the evil villain. In Wizards and Warriors 1, and I'm pretty sure we killed him, but I guess Malkil is like Bowser, where it's also, I'm pretty sure, Bowser drowned in lava, but then somehow they just come back. So Malkil's back, and this time uh, he's taken the form of the four elementals, earth, wind, fire, and water. Your objective is to assemble the legendary iron sword, the only weapon that can defeat Malkil, and defeat uh, the evil wizard at the peak of Icefire Mountain. Is that enough? Uh, of a plot it, it, it kind of changed up a little bit because last time we were in you know in search of a princess and now this time we're just doing more of a you know go to the these four lands and acquire the elementals to be able to go to the highest point in the land and take on the evil wizard i mean it's pretty uh it's it's pretty bargain bin it's there's nothing really new here but uh as we'll as i think we'll get into i think that the way that they sort of uh executed this very simple plot was 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 good. Yeah, I feel like the those elements of the plot are really just there to like tee up the environments that you're going to be in throughout. Like, oh, you're going to, you know, like like it tells you where you're going to go and there's a map in the in the um actual game that kind of shows these environments as well and it just kind of like gives context to that, but doesn't really like I'm, you know, at no point am I like, am I like, wow, what is going to happen next? Right, right. And also, I, I, reading the plot in, in that way, you kind of think you'd be able to choose the elements. Like, uh, I'm going to take on the earth guy first, or I'm going to take on the wind guy. Uh, you don't get to do that, obviously. There's a map that lays out, similar to Wizards and Warriors 1. Uh, you know, you started in the earth area in Wizards and Warriors 1, and then you worked your way underground. It follows a path that is set on the map, and you watch your character kind of land 
in the new zone, not necessarily a map that you could refer back to and be like, oh, here's where I am right now, but instead just something to track the, the progress throughout. In Wizards and Warriors 1, that game was more focused on collecting diamonds to pay off a guy to let you through to the next area, and we were talking about that being more of a collect-a-thon style game. What you would have to do is collect, a hun- let's say, 100 diamonds. There would be another knight who looked just like you, except for he was red, and he would say, no, I need 100 diamonds. And if you didn't have 100 diamonds, you couldn't get through. Then after that, it'd be like, okay, now you need a red key. And if you didn't have the red key, you couldn't go through. And so it was about going through an area that had a limited amount of diamonds around it and just trying to, you know, canvas every nook and cranny to find enough diamonds. And there were more than enough. So it wasn't like you'd have to keep searching around for the one additional one you needed. But that was the like objective there in this one. It does stay the same through the four elemental domains of what you have to do, but it's a little more involved of finding a particular spell and meeting a particular uh, side character who helps you kind of get to the uh, part two of the domain. Joe, do you want to talk more about that gameplay loop? Yeah, I mean, particularly with the <laughs> the collectathon quote unquote element from the first one. I mean, yeah, you're right. It's different now. It's like they're more specific and i guess like story driven items that you have to get but it still felt to me very much like the gameplay loop is like find the thing you need to find to get to the next area move to the next area find the next thing you need to find to beat the boss and (laughs) you know i would say that to that part of the gameplay i felt that it was pretty unclear a lot of the time so maybe i'm missing things maybe there are people you talk to that say hey find this a lot of times I felt like I was just opening chests until I found an item and I was like, well, is this the item I'm supposed to use? And then I would go try, go to the next area and, and you know, it would either take me there or not. But uh, I never felt like I knew what I was supposed to be looking for for a long time. In fact, pretty shortly in, I started just kind of watching a guide as I was playing. So it was so I would get my my objective from that. But I never felt like the game was inherently giving me the objective. So it's one of those games... I feel like we're like, I don't know how you would know to do the things you're supposed to do, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's laid out in the manual, but you're right that in the first game, you know, you don't necessarily run right into the Red Knight who tells you, give me 100 diamonds, but diamonds are just everywhere. So you're naturally collecting those. I agree that it's not it's not that different from collect this one thing versus collect this hundred things like uh, maybe it's even better to collect less of something to progress on in the game but there is nobody you speak to in this game other than the uh, innkeeper to give you any kind of information but even the innkeeper doesn't give you information he's just there to buy and trade with you no one says you need to get the familiar spell or the dragon tooth spell those are just things you find in a treasure chest and then once you yeah go ahead yeah so there's like there's a couple steps to this like there's a um there's like the 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 primary area where you start off and there's going to be like a an animal spirit or something and just like the red uh the the red soldier the red knight there'll be a little like text box that's like here find this thing and it's just like an image of the thing that you have to find and 
Uh, then you just sort of search the map for it, and then you'll get a little pop-up that says, like, oh, you found the golden egg, or the golden fly, or the golden crown, or whatever. And then you go, and you talk to the animal, and you give it to him, and he lets you into, like, phase two of the level. And that's where it's, like, it's a little more vague, because you don't know the name of the spell that you're trying to find that's, like, going to, uh, be the weakness for the boss. Um, but then you basically just like you look around, you're, you'll find a thing, and if it's if it sounds like another element, then that's probably the thing that you need to defeat the boss. And then you go and you you shoot at it, and you'll probably win because the bosses aren't too uh, aren't too crazy. Uh, but that, I mean, like, there's still some information provided, like contextually. Okay, so they do. They they do um, give you that information if you if you go to the animal before you have what you need. I did notice that in in like the third level, the volcano level, that the dragon told me what where to go. I guess I just didn't run ever run into the animals before I you know beforehand in order to like get my clue. Yeah, it, but I it wasn't say- until the forest that I realized that that was sort of the mechanic because like I was in. Uh, I think I was just like on the mountain, whatever the first level is, and I keep getting attacked by these birds, and I'm like, well, these birds suck. And then eventually, like, one of them talks to me and is like, <laughs> hey, I'm going to take you up here into the clouds if that's okay. And I'm just like, oh, great, a nice bird. And it's like, <laughs> does he say if that's okay with you? Yeah, no, I know. I, I made that up, but uh, that was, uh, it wasn't until like the second level that I realized, like, like oh, that's what they're doing. Yeah, I I get that these guys are telling you because I saw even with the very first eagle, I actually just kept climbing up the stage until you get to the part where the eagle is where he theoretically would carry you to the cloud part of the stage. But I didn't have the egg yet. So I, I got the message and everything. The problem is, it's just not helpful. It's 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 not actually it's just not carefully laid out in the stage in a specific like hidden spot or something or a progression point where you would find the egg. It's just randomly like placed out in a, a weird crevice area in the bottom right of the map, which I guess isn't terrible because you'd never have to travel. If you just keep walking to the right, you would see it and then be like, oh, I wonder how I collect that thing. But it's not particularly interesting to to find that. And the character in the game isn't helping you with like location specifics on where you might find those things. So I find that, ob- uh, that objective a little... Uh, more obtuse than the diamonds thing because when the guy tells you he needs 100 diamonds there's no question about like but where the hell would I find those no I mean, it's it's definitely like it doesn't help but it, it at least like shows that okay okay there's a key item I gotta find the key item not so much like oh where would the key item be right and that does give you you know give you something to go off of but the other thing that like I wish that they had done or talked about was how to get some, not even where, but sometimes how to get some of these items, because, like, you were talking about the forest level, that's where you need to get the golden fly. You can, at some point, see the golden fly, but it's, like, under the ground in one of the caves, but there's, like, the way you get it is you have to go somewhere else in the level, find a spell that gives you, like, it's like the water spout spell, then go to a very specific spot, climb up to a very specific spot where you can't see the fly from there, but... You just have to know to go to this spot, use the spell, and it'll shoot you up through the ground and into the spot where the golden fly is. And it feels like, I just don't know how you would figure that out without reading it. No, absolutely. It's really just like that old school, just like, give, just poke and prod everywhere. Like, you, there's, there's no actual 
like it, you don't feel clever finding these hidden things. It's just like, oh, I was thorough, and it it's not like there's any context to like, oh, it makes sense that the golden fly would be here based on everything else that's around here. It's just like, no, like you just ended up canvassing the entire map and you found the fly. And the manual is also another reference point of everything in the game. Like it literally includes every single item, how many points it's worth, different. Um, even tells you like which element to use uh, against the elementals. So, you know, the fire smite is what it takes to really burn the fire elemental is what they say. These things aren't actually useful though. None of this stuff is useful. Like, yeah, they're telling you, they're giving like a description for everything, which is cool world building, but they're trying to act almost like a strategy guide without pointing you in any particular direction or, or even leaving hints for where uh, in, in the particular levels these things might be. And there's a vague way to do that too. But to go through the trouble of listing out everything in the game and really just have it be more for, for flair, I don't know. I didn't care for that, especially as the manual acting like some kind of strategy guide. Also weird in the manual is they have this note about the inn. And uh, it says... You'll know when you're there because there will be armor on the walls and cups on the shelves. <laughs> and that might not sound too silly, but imagine if that's how they described every level. You know you're in the cloud level because you'll be surrounded by clouds. Like, I don't know. It doesn't doesn't sound like the it sounds like they didn't know what to write about the yeah, game because it, it's pretty the obvious. The end itself is a weird yeah, yeah, the end itself is like a weird uh outtake of this game that doesn't feel connected to the other things of all of a sudden, you're you have money and you're purchasing items rather than finding them. When there's so much treasure and items to find within the actual map, all of a sudden it's like, well, if you have some money, if you want to buy some food or uh, one particular uh, item that you couldn't get anywhere else, or play a gambling game with us, like here's the spot to do it. Otherwise, uh, what are you doing in the inn? Also, you know, it doesn't function like an inn. It functions like a shop or a bar. You don't stay there. <laughs> I mean, I guess. Uh, uh, I is there like a is that where the passwords are generated? I maybe uh, maybe not, but I think that's where the passwords I are. So right. it kind of functions like an inn. But I I like the shop mechanic where um, you it like well yes there are these other things that you find around the map like if you can buy an upgraded sword there uh, you can. Uh, like that can be a safe haven where if you have the um, the coin, you can buy some food and and get your health back to like not danger zone. Um, and I also think that uh, leaving the map because since they they switched everything to more like a key item instead of a uh, collect everything and um, uh, you have to pay to to move forward. Uh, now that everything's just key items. I guess the map would feel kind of barren without other collectibles around, uh, aside from keys. Um, so it's a good place to, to, to spend your cash. And I, I don't know. I think that like the, it, having a little safe Haven, especially in a, in a Nintendo hard game like this, uh, it, it felt refreshing to me. I think it just feels out of place because uh, it makes it seem like the game's having an identity crisis. I, I look at this game and see it more as just a typical action NES-style game where you're just going level to level, and when you complete the level, you know, think like uh, Castlevania 1 style. But the game wants it to be RPG in certain elements by giving, like, side characters have quests where they want you to get a particular item each time and before you can 
carry on and then the in having purchasable things that you know may or may not matter in the in the grand scheme of things i agree it's a nice break from the non-stop enemies on screen and stuff like that and it was welcome to it did feel like i was resting but i i just didn't see why they couldn't include the kinds of things that you find there throughout the land so I don't have like a strong opinion one way or the other. I was definitely relieved when I would come across an inn and could buy some food. Um, but I personally, maybe, you know, maybe this is a little bit of a segue, but I personally thought that I would like something like that, but more just because the safe haven element of it. I mean, just because this game, <laughs> you're never safe. It's like exhausting. not even like for, for beats in between enemies. Like we talk about, we talk about enemies like that spawn randomly and how we don't like that uh, in a lot of games. But this, I think, is like, I mean, this is just pure chaos on the screen, especially in the earlier levels. I feel like it's better later on. But like in the earlier levels, it's just like it's like it's raining enemies at all times. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I had to take breaks because of it. It was just there's too much. It's like overexposure. Um, and I feel like this was also an issue in the original um, but it, I, I just wasn't expecting, uh, it, it to be this intense. Yeah. It, it, go ahead. Well, I was going to say it, the, the intensity of the, the enemy placement combined with like how unclear it is if you're hitting them or they're hitting you or like when you should attack and like, it, it just makes it like almost like feels arbitrary to even fight. <laughs> like, I just feel like I just run and jump and hope I kill something. <laughs> It's important to remember in the first game just how easy that game was. Uh, if It was more of like if you had the will to finish it. That was a game that gave you unlimited continues. You picked up right where you died, which you kind of do in this game too, don't get me wrong. But also in that game, since it was collecting things, you didn't lose anything you collected. And, um, and the jump uh, in the game, that attack... Uh, like he would raise the sword up and he kind of does it here too. It just was more powerful in that first game where it almost made you a little bit invincible as long as you were attacking anything above you. In in this game, I feel like even that jump attack where he's just kind of pointing his sword up in the air doesn't respond 100% of the time. Sometimes I'm confused about why it registers as a hit or why it registers as me getting hit. Yeah, it's definitely not as... Uh it's it's a bit more finicky in this one and i even when i wasn't getting hit the feedback still felt like i was so like psychologically i'm not having a good time uh and, and i think it's also because like you, you especially early on before you get like the uh the diamond sword it, it's uh, it's just physically harder to hit them cuz you have a smaller weapon yeah also your like weapon animation your like swing weapon animation is not clear on like what your hitbox is or what your like sword's hitbox is because you just sort of like you just sort of like wiggle the sword a little bit you don't like stab yeah. it forward or like it's really weird if you if you crouch you get more of like a lurching but that that's sort of it's very uh situational 
And when you group that with the nonstop enemies and the weird platforming that they've created in terms of level design here, you wind up fault. You know, there's three things that can happen. Either you have to continue to do damage control on the enemies around you and not, you know, and make progress slowly, I suppose. The second thing that could happen is you try to dodge or stay away from enemies and then accidentally fall off these very small platforms and lose a significant amount of progress on an area that you've already made. And since there aren't interesting things to collect, now you just your sole task is just go climb back up this up all these platforms again. Or you can just stand in your position and just keep trying to deal with the enemies uh, and, and do nothing. That will never stop, yeah. Right, that will just never stop. I feel like the obvious answer is get the enemies to stop spawning in this way. It's like, congratulations, you took care of all the enemies on this particular section of the screen. They probably will spawn back in if you leave this section of the screen, but don't worry about them for now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it really is hard to overstate how mind-numbingly exhausting it is just, like, trying to get your footing, like, trying to jump up a cloud over and over because it's such a specific, pixel-perfect jump, uh, and going forward in the other levels, too, while being just hounded by these enemies. It, like... A lot of parts of this game are are fun and interesting, but like I can't overstate how much that is it just overwhelming is the word. Yeah, and to to kind of expand on that like tediousness of jumping those pixel perfect jumps, yes, while all these enemies are coming at you. But like it's like the the platforming sometimes a lot of times is designed in a way that just feels like Either they were deliberately trying to make it incredibly frustrating or they just didn't think about like, hey, like, does this work the way we're putting this? Like a lot of times those clouds in the second level. So like, first of all, there are slopes that you will like slide down. You can't land on certain slopes with the clouds. It's very difficult to tell what's a slope and what's not. So yeah. a lot of times I think I'm jumping to the next cloud platform and it turns out to be a slope and I just slide off and then I have no control over where I'm going to end up. But also like sometimes you're trying to hit this pixel perfect spot that's above the slope and if you miss it you're gonna fall down the slope and a lot of times not just in the cloud level they put like the ceiling really low right at that spot so like i can't even get like a really good jump because i hit the ceiling and it knocks me straight down and there really does feel like there's only like one possible exact input that would get me like high enough to get me right to the to the top of the slope but low enough to not hit the ceiling and Joe, what you're describing is the way to get the damn e elemental spell that would take out the boss. That in the cloud level, they tuck it behind an area that requires you to perfectly jump over five or six of those, right? Yeah, and that was like yeah, the first a, time I, I remember. It's like a sub level. It's like a little. It's a secondary screen that you have to jump over these weird cloud formations with very little room to maneuver. Right, but that's the only way to get the wind bane. Right. It's a required yes. item, yeah. So um, all that frustration, and it's not even just like, you know, a part of the level or something. It's a mandatory thing that every player must experience. Right. And then that was only the first time I noticed that. Like, I, I noticed it a lot in later levels, too, that same kind of frustration. Well, the cloud thing's also interesting because it's, it's the second part of the very first level. And I think they tried to 
have some fun with the platforming by making it so that if you time your jump, you jump higher. But it winds up becoming this bounce house thing where it's like, <laughs> I want to get off the ride. <laughs> you know, I'm tired of timing my my jumps every single time as I'm going from small little cloud to the next one, unsure if I'm going to make it. And if I don't make it, I'm falling back down to the bottom. I think they opened up the the challenge way too early there. And later levels don't e- don't even really have that effect of the of timing the jump to spring higher. That's uh, really just for the, the cloud section, right? Well, uh, I, I will agree that they really... Um, that <laughs> everything that we've been saying... Uh, now add on that that silly like bounce house thing where no, like nothing feels comfortable or uh, like how you intend it. But um, I will say that the you don't have to time your jump. You can just hold down jump right. and it'll do it. <laughs> oh shit, that's so funny. I don't know. I guess I'm just like used to. I'm used. I was used uh, to it too. Yeah. <laughs> so many games. I don't have to think of an example. Sean, you were talking earlier about these elemental bosses being pretty easy. Uh, I think they communicate well that you can't do any damage to them until you have that thing. Like, if you go into that room earlier, there's just nothing that you can do to hurt it. So you obviously need to get the uh, the particular bane. Are they all called bane? No, wind bane, no, blight water, yeah. fire smite, and earth scorch. So if you get that thing, then it becomes this projectile that you shoot out of your sword um and then you're just firing that at a distance there's no real reason to get close to these guys uh and you're firing that at the elemental bosses to take care of them yeah i really didn't feel like there was much here they did great sprite work on these on these elemental bosses and made them feel like big enemies uh, you know that could be potential problems but as long as you stay at a distance doesn't really seem, you know, it seems more of just making sure that you're good with your jump. Yeah, you you basically just find the safe spot and spam. Uh, I I noticed that. But one thing that I think was going on was if you don't have the spell, every, like, projectile that it fires at you is going to one-shot you. And I think that's supposed to tell you, like, you're not supposed to be here right now. Go get the thing. Do the stuff. Um and then I feel like when you come back with the spell, like it's still going to do a lot of damage, but it's not going to be a one shot thing. Um, but then it's like, uh, it, it's relatively simple. But it, when it comes to the sprite work, I think that the like the actual like the prettier stuff were were the animals that you talk to that just sort of like, okay, yeah, here's the I'm going to take you here. Or like, okay, I'm going to allow you to come through here. I wanted those to be the bosses and not so much these like huge walls of element. Oh, yeah. They were definitely the more like well-designed elements of the game. But the the other thing about the bosses that kind of that was a little frustrating. I mean, you know, it's just part of the gameplay. It was it was deli- definitely deliberate was that you need you need full magic in order to um or at least a lot of magic your 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 magic bar in order to beat them and sometimes you are at the end of the level you don't have any i mean that i was at the um i think it was the third level the volcano level got to the boss had no magic and barely anyone i feel like through the whole game everyone was dropping magic all the time could not find anyone that was dropping magic i mean it took me like a half hour like just build up my magic in order to to beat the boss and it and it, it just felt like it was like all right i have the spell that i need you don't really use magic for anything else other than the bosses. 
So it felt like such a chore to have to just go out and like collect mana or whatever you want to call it for just just so I could even fight the boss. Like I didn't even have an option to fight the boss without it. But aren't there enemies in inside the boss battle that you could theoretically keep hitting to hope that they would spawn? They won't do it every time. Like it's not like killing them gains you magic but that they they might be the ones to i mean there were inside the boss battle but then i'm just in the boss battle getting getting my ass kicked while i'm trying to collect these things <laughs> and i'm telling you in that in that third level like nobody dropped it like it was like at one in every like 15 enemies would drop like one orb of <laughs> of magic or something so it took me forever so like i would not want to be standing in front of the boss as it's attacking me uh trying to collect enough magic to take it on sounds like a neat item that the innkeeper could have sold you yeah i thought you're about to say it sounds like a you problem <laughs> no 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 no. i i think i i think that the magic meter in this game uh actually limits the the coolness of the magic because there's probably something else that they could have they could have either given you like the magic meter is refilled more frequently by enemies like if it if it detects that you're like less than half it's just more uh welcoming in terms of the amount of enemies that would possibly give magic or if there was just other ways to restore your magic rather than farming enemies over and over again i get why they went with the farming thing enemies are everywhere in this freaking game and they don't stop so might as well include them as a reason to fight these guys rather than just keep dodging them but i would have liked the second option yeah yeah if there was if there was another way to do it that would have been a little more tolerable tolerable and even if like maybe if you could if it was um if using magic outside of a boss battle was like a thing like it, it's not you don't really do it unless you're fighting a boss so it's it, it feels way too uh this specific use case that it feels less like magic and more more like here's like a different mode of play that's specifically yeah. for the bosses. Right, right. And that that adds to the like feeling of like it's not a part of the gameplay normally, so it feels like I just got another task. Like, hey, I found I found the boss, I found the item I need. Now go collect a bunch of the the you know, the fuel for the item you need. Whereas like if I were using that that mana throughout the game, it would just feel like, oh yeah, of course I gotta collect more mana because I need to power up my magic. But it just feels like it's just like artificially just giving you another yeah. task to do sean that's a good point that the elements don't uh the spells sorry that you collect to fight the elements they don't necessarily feel like they're changing the gameplay because it's just a projectile that does damage to that particular elemental and then it's it's kind of just inconsequential otherwise so you're spending a good portion of the second part of each level trying to find that spell that ultimately just results in you being able to fight the boss. Yeah, exactly. It's just another key item that like gives you like in 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 each different boss battle, like the projectile that you're shooting behaves a little differently, but be, but the fact that you're only using it against this boss, it, it may as well be this like a bonus level. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder how different the game would have been if you didn't collect these spells and instead it was about, once you got to the second part, trying to find and track down the elemental and then fight him with your sword, you know, uh, or other spells that you acquire that don't require the elementals, like the familiar spell or the dragon tooth spell and stuff like that, like using that stuff. That feels like it could be a 
I don't know, it, it would definitely change up the gameplay, but it feels like it would make the boss fights a little more interesting too, because now, rather than fighting from a distance and shooting projectiles that, I don't know, they don't really feel like something a knight does. Uh, <laughs> now it's like, here you, um, here you actually have to think about sword combat against these giant elementals. Well, this is not the game for sword combat, Mike. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no thanks. <laughs> but yeah, I know what you're saying too. I think the, the, like, the opposite way you could go too is like, you get this spell, you have to use it on the boss for the first time, and then in the next level, you have that spell. And you can now it's like, oh, I beat the boss with this spell. Now I can use it in regular gameplay in the next level. I mean, you'd have to redesign the whole game to make it, you know, to make it like uh, designed around that so to keep the challenge up and everything. But like that would make me feel like, oh, I am getting more powerful with each thing. Like, yeah, I defeated the boss, and now I'm taking what I quote unquote like learned or gained. From, from that fight and moving on to the rest of the journey. Yep, could have just taken the Mega Man Q. Exactly. One thing that I did like and that did give me a feeling of actual like uh, growth and the word that is obvious Progression. Progression uh, was the upgrades are visually reflected on your person. Like you get a you get a helmet, you got a helmet. You get a helmet with horns, you got a helmet with horns. You get a sword that's long and like has a cooler name. Your your sword's bigger now and it looks cooler now. I appreciated that. A little strange that he came to battle without a helmet, though, right? I mean, sometimes you just forget your helmet, man. Or a shield. Yeah, it's well, he true. did. Ha- Does he not have a helmet in the beginning? It looks it- weird. I mean, it his. I feel like the the color lo- makes it look like he's just wearing like a skin tight helmet. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess that's just his head. Yeah, yeah. Now that I look at it, it looks way too small to be a helmet. I just assumed he had his helmet on. Yeah, I don't know why. I, uh, now that I'm looking at it, Joe, if that's true, it looks like it's. He looks like the Tin Man. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he is a robot. Robot. Going back to the platforming aspect of the game for a minute, just thinking about everything I ever learned from Super Mario Maker, uh, a fantastic uh, game, first on Wii U and then Switch, that teaches you you know, how to make your own platforming levels and stuff like that based on the tools in Super Mario Brothers. Granted, they were working off about 35 years of Super Mario Brothers 2D platforming stuff, but in those games, you have... So much variety in the types of platforms, in the uh, in the way that you choose to lay out those platforms. I'm not focusing so much on the level design for a minute. I just want to talk about the choices here. Inside each level is just one particular flat platform that, whether it's floating or locked to the uh, you know to the ground, that that's the platform. And then the other alternative is a slope, and the slopes. And platforms are what the whole, like, experience of the game is designed around. And I feel like what's unforgiving about this is that you don't have control of yourself over the slopes. In Super Mario Brothers, you get control when you, uh, Super Mario World, rather, is when they introduce slopes. You get control over that slope and can use it as a momentum thing or to, you know, try to stop on your heels and assess what's coming next. In this game, because you have no control over the slopes... It just feels like a very punishing uh, game of like shoots and ladders sometimes with these slopes. Yeah, 
Yeah, you, you shoots and lights. It's funny you said that because the first thing I thought of in that first level where there are like you can get to the top and you can hit one slope and it keeps transferring you from slope to slope until you're like down in some other random place. You can't even jump off or anything. Like it's it's very um. Yeah, you're completely without control. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I hated it. I don't have anything else. Anything else to <laughs> offer there? Well, you also t- mentioned kind of like that. There's just these two elements of it and and you kind of put into words what i was trying to like articulate before we started i was trying to like think of how to word this but but it's very it's just feels like nothing feels distinct nothing feels like oh i'm in a new place now i know it's just if you're at the you know if i'm at the volcano level like once in a while there's a little volcano thing but otherwise it's just a bunch of red platforms like red rocky platforms they look good they look fine they look like rocks you know but like nothing changes nothing feels like like there's any context to where I am. I mean, you know, just a pure solid background and like just a bunch of platforms everywhere. So I mean, like, I guess in in each, not in each area, but you know, they kind of blow their load early with the clouds and making everything bouncy. And then there's like an underwater level where everything's sort of slow and, and floaty. And then there's a couple sections where there's just platforms that pass gas and fart kind of so that when you land on them it they, it gets a little weird uh and some of them have other hazards that are just floating around like they, they do feel different but I do understand what you're saying where like aside from affecting just base movement um there really isn't anything else going on they're very placid yeah, and I guess I'd say that they they feel different from each other, as in, like, the, the platforms in the first level feel different from the platforms in the second level. But, yeah, the second level, you're in the cloud level. Like, I have never, I don't really ever, like, have, like, bearings on, like, oh, this is where I am in this level. It's just all cloud everywhere, you know? And it's just, like, tons of platforms everywhere. So I never, you know, I'm trying to think, like, like, like Fexanadu, obviously a different kind of game. But that's also, like, a lot of platforms. But I always feel like there's a sense of, like, landscape to it. Or, or like, ge- geography, I guess. Whereas this is just, like, yeah, there's a bunch of shit everywhere. I jump from one to the next. And, like, uh, you know, once in a while there's a room or there's, like, a little landmark. But, like, I just feel like I'm always, like, I guess I'll just jump in this direction and see if something's up here. Can we talk about the continue system? I feel like, you know, I mentioned it at the top of the episode. But it's worth discussing just to, you know, we've seen it both ways on the NES. So in Wizards and Warriors 1, there was unlimited continues. You never had to worry about a game over screen. This one chose to abandon that. And if you uh, die a certain amount of times, it, it's game over. And you can always use your password to get back. But do you feel like that was the right step? Uh, maybe an unnecessary step? Didn't matter because other games always have uh, a certain amount of continues before you die, including games like Super Mario Brothers? I, I think it was necessary uh, to get rid of this unlimited continues thing just so that there'd be some kind of stakes uh, as opposed to just like a modern game where it's just like, oh, uh, the most recent uh, most recent checkpoint was 30 seconds ago. Don't worry about it. Um, but I don't think that it should have uh made it so that no matter if you had continues it got rid of them on the last level cuz that it does that and that's like if you were good enough to to not have to use your continues and to get to ice fire mountain whatever the hell i think you should be able to keep them 
Yeah, I thought that that was weird. I didn't know that there was a certain amount of continues that you would eventually run out if you use too many of them. But I did notice because I, I told you guys already how I um had to farm for magic forever at the end of that third level. And then I got to the fourth level, the purple level, and apparently there are no continues. And then I died and it was like game over. And I was like, oh, OK, well, I've been so far conditioned to think that I'm allowed to continue. Uh, no, I think it, it just says like, in the manual. Yeah, you get two. Yeah, I didn't uh, read that manual. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, but still, I thought it was weird to like to have it for some of the game and then take it away. So it was like they, you know, like I I did think that was weird. And I do agree that a game like this needs to have like higher stakes. But I think that the stakes should be like when you die, you start at the beginning of the level or something. Not that like in this game you die and you start exactly where you were. Once you run out of all your lives, you continue. And correct me if I'm wrong, but when you continue, you Oh, continue, you do start at the beginning of the level, right? I uh, yes. Yeah. No, yeah. Uh, I, I think it also is like where you had your password, no? Uh, no, I mean, I, I don't think you need to worry oh, about continues Oh, I know what you're saying, sorry. Yeah, yeah I, I get it, I get it. Yeah, uh, you're talking yeah. about when you, conti- when you continue, yeah, if you have like two continues left, where you continue from. Got right, it. right. Yeah. Um, but I think that as long as, you know, as long as the password system is intact, then it's okay to... To say like, oh yeah, once you lose all your lives, it's game over, and then you gotta, you know, basically reload your game from the last time you got your password. I mean, that is that feels like a sig- significant and fair consequence. Although I don't think you get to keep everything with the password. Uh, I believe like money and obviously score and some items that you acquired uh, are like out if you use the password. Those things aren't stored in the password. It's more and so that's just always like weird wherever you are. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, yeah, like yeah. What, what room you were in. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, I, I guess that maybe saved them from having one of those like really long passwords. But, uh, but it is weird to me because it's like, I mean, the point of the password isn't only so that like if you die, you're, you're safe. But also like I would think the point of the password is so you don't have to play the whole game in one sitting. So like if you're being punished for like stopping for and coming back to it the next day, that's kind of annoying. And Sean, you just talked about the final level removing your continues. Uh, that just feels like something that the developers did to be cruel. It doesn't quite seem like a bug. It just seems that they were trying to figure out a way to make the end of the game even harder. And so they decided at this point, you just lose all your continues. And it's probably not too big of a deal because, again, the password can always just bring you back to the ice fire mountain. But if, you, if you're struggling in that particular level it's one of those things where it's just all right now just get good yeah uh didn't Mega Man do something similar like once you went to the the castle thing like it sort of reset the way that progression works I, yep it, it, that, with the that, wily stages yeah, yeah wily i i didn't i didn't like it then i don't like it now uh it just it just seems like yeah overcomplicating challenge like it's already challenging there's already a continued system. They're already finite. Just keep it that way. On the sequels and spinoff side, we have Wizards and Warriors 3, uh, also on the NES. Who's excited to complete the trilogy? Uh, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I, I'm not, I don't hate the idea. The uh, third one is called Wizards and Warriors 3, colon... Kuros colon visions of power. So they've really 
gone. Uh, they've lost their damn minds here because following the uh, the naming scheme of the second one, it should have been Visions of Power Wizards and Warriors three colon Kuros <laughs> or three Wizards three Warriors Tokyo Drift. Sure, yeah, why not? Uh, no Fabio on the third one either. But we'll get into all that stuff when we play this game in March of 1992. It's pretty far from now. That's going to be uh, like 40. 30 or something, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Who could, who could really say <laughs> at that point? Um, you know, but I'm sure we're doing the show still. And uh, shout out to 2030 versions of us. <laughs> who are listening to this episode to get to their prepare. bearings. Yeah. yeah. Yep, exactly. And also, I mentioned this on the Wizards and Warriors episode, but Wizards and Warriors X uh is on game boy and that came out actually before wizards and warriors 3 so that probably explains the gap x in like terms yeah 10 well <laughs> you know i made that joke on that episode too sean uh, so you should probably go back and listen to that episode oh. along with the fans but i made that joke because i was like yeah we got wizards and warriors 1 2 3 and 10 <laughs> damn i'm what sure what happened I to 4 through to 9 <laughs> What else did we say in that episode, Mike? Insert the whole episode here. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. We've got something much more important to insert into this episode, and that is the essential games list. Sean, your vote. I've, I've been pretty tough on this game, and I usually am uh, on every single game that I have any kind of like difficulty with. Uh, but I don't hate this game. I, I think that it's very flawed, but uh, the moment-to-moment action, while frustrating, like, it, this felt like a more holistic experience in terms of, like, the action-adventure uh, genre than something like, say, Battle for Olympus, which at every moment I just felt lost. Whereas I think with the sort of simplification, where, like, yeah, you're kind of just, like, poking around it they're, they're more like self-contained smaller areas to poke around i kind of dug that i appreciated the little touchstones of the inns to give you give yourself a breather and to gamble um and i think the the art's pretty charming uh the the animal spirit guides are hilarious for some reason um and it's just such a quirky game with the like they just didn't they, they didn't see the wobbly sword as a problem so they just didn't fix it and it's almost like <laughs> that's a pro <laughs> I don't I don't know uh but I mean I'm not going to put this on the essential games list I I think it's I think it's cute so it's like maybe a play it, it definitely uh definitely a game i will remember all right i like that i can i can boogie with that joe can you boogie with that (laughs) yeah i I can boogie uh sure i'll say a couple of good things about this game too i think that it has good music um Mm -hmm. i do think that it moves really well We, we didn't talk about that i think that like even though there's like some weird mechanics to it i think that the actual feel of the movement is better than a lot of games on the NES where it doesn't feel super floaty or stiff. Um, but, and we, and I was pretty hard on this game too, but, but I do think I sort of hate this game. <laughs> like I really, <laughs> I really just felt frustrated most of the time. Um, I felt 
lost in a way that like I wasn't that interested in finding where I need to go because it just something about it just felt kind of bland to me even though the environments are pretty and, and whatnot like it just felt like I, so you, you Sean you compared it to Battle of Olympus I would take that game over this any any day because I felt like there was just more like contact I mean and I'm talking I know it's a different type of game but like I'm talking just as far as the exploration of it like there just felt to be more context to where I am, and I was like, "Oh, now I'm in this city." Now, like I got, I got my bearings. I got to like learn the land in that game. In this game, I just felt like I was just moving to like hope to find the next thing, and and and, and not die. There was never a break. I, that's not true. Later on in the in the game, there was sort of some breaks where like there weren't that many enemies, but like they threw you into the first two or three levels where it's just like you you can't do anything. Without like it's all everything almost felt like I was just like hoping to not die because I felt like I had so little like agency over over fighting. So like I know that these games, Wizards and Warriors, have like have like a fouling. Like I like I had heard of them. I know that they're like maybe for better. I don't know if they're considered great games, but I know that they were like relatively popular. So maybe that's why I'm looking at it with like a little more harsher lens because I was expecting something more. And admittedly, I had mostly forgotten about the first Wizards and Warriors, but Wizards and Warriors by the time we played this one. So when I kind of jumped into it, it was, it was mostly just disappointment, in my opinion. So I'm going to say not essential. If I can just, sorry, if I could just respond real quick to to, to Joe's point mm-hmm. about the uh, the exploration and getting lost. Okay, but you can't change your vote. I'm not. <laughs> I'm sure I changed his mind. No, no, vote. no. I would say, like, just again, to compare this to specifically uh, Battle for Olympus. Getting lost in Battle for Olympus kind of felt like a night that you're blackout drunk, and every time you sort of, like, change whatever screen you're on, it's just like, wait, how the hell did I get here? Like, why why am I in a city now? I was just in a forest, and there was no context that I was going into a city. Whereas in this, like, maybe it's just the smooth scrolling and the fact that I guess I can keep a better mental map when it all feels like one area even though it all kind of looks samey within that area, I can at least like kind of gauge where I am in the cardinal directions of things. That's why I thought like it was, it was easier for me, but that's, yeah, I, that's I get all. what you're saying too. I mean, it's not like this game was trying to do the same thing battle for Olympus was doing anyways, but yeah, but yeah. And I, you know, and I'll full, full disclosure. I played both of these games fully with a guide because I had no idea what to do ah, yes. in either of them without the guide. So I guess it's like from that perspective with the guide, I, it, it, it helped with Battle for Olympus. And with this, I was still just like, this is just not fun. <laughs> All right. And I will just add that it's interesting that you guys didn't go back to Wizards and Warriors 1, not because you have to, but I just feel like with sequels on the NES, in general, we've had a pretty bad run of things, especially if you... Uh, ask like a certain kind of player, like the kind of people who don't like Super Mario Brothers 2, uh, which is, was the game we voted the best of 88, so it doesn't apply to us. But, uh, you know, I'm just thinking like, in general, sequels usually are like something exciting in video games, uh, especially nowadays, like that's all the rage uh, for E3 announcements. or That's all there elsewhere. is. Right, yeah, it's like, okay, I can't wait till they make the next version of this. I mean, people were getting excited about Breath of the Wild 2, and that's a sequel to a franchise that always gets sequels, right? It's like it's a sequel <laughs> within a sequel. Um, so all that to say, like, when I was just thinking about, like, all right, well, what was Wizards and Warriors one like? And I played Wizards and Warriors two first before going back to one, and I was shocked at the downgrade that we got here. And it makes so much more sense now when I look at 
the fact that Zippo Games was given the keys here to to make the sequel to a game that Rare went with the first time around. I'm not saying Wizards and Warriors 1 should be like re-looked at for the essential games list or anything. I just found the the concept and maybe the uh significantly easier gameplay approach just more refreshing than anything Wizards and Warriors 2 is doing here. I agree with every point you guys made in favor of it, but I would also just add that if they found a way to make this game easier, the the jumping mechanics are fun, the uh the enemy designs are are fine. It's just the the amount of difficulty that they throw at it and the frustration that comes with that just made me keep thinking like how much more do I have to play to complete it for like the podcast, like to have enough information going. And I feel like that was more because of the difficulty and less to do with particular game design choices. Overall though, I would take Wizards and Warriors 1 any day of the week. Even Tuesday. Right, because that would be a day that you would usually reserve for sequels because that has two, two in it. Yes, just just yep. checking. Uh, not a sequel, but next week we'll be playing Knight Rider. Could be a could be a <laughs> well, sequel. Is every to, episode uh, of the podcast a sequel to the last episode? I'd say so. Yeah, that's actually what. Yeah, that's true. In the that's same true. way but that I, like an episode of a television show, like two, three, four, that, that's all a sequel to the pilot. Right. Right. Knight Rider, the game is probably a sequel to the TV show. Yeah. We should just call this episode Ten Yard Fight Two Hundred and Fifty Eight <laughs> or whatever we're on. <laughs> No comment. But I do have a comment about something else. What's that? Okay, fine. Oh, thank you for playing ball, Sean. Uh, <laughs> we have a Nostalgia Bites episode coming up, too. It's Star Luster. It's, a, a, I believe, a shmup, but uh, that's only because it's Star in the title. I'm just guessing that. So if you love shmups and you're like, hey, they only cover like 60 shmups so far on the regular podcast. Let me uh, give them some money to hear these Bites episodes. Remember that uh, there's a good reason for that, and that's not just to give us money. It's to uh, explore the Famicom library with us, and that's where Star Luster is. It's only available on the Famicom, so that's why we're covering it over there instead of uh, on the main feed. When you do that, you'll also get access to the uh, now eight other episodes and some cool bonus content that you're not going to expect. I'll tell you that much. We're giving out stickers like a year ago. Was anybody (laughs) expecting stickers? (laughs) You'll have a all access pass to all of my previous uh, grocery shopping lists. Yeah, you're still working on that, right? I am still working on that, but yeah, eventually so you'll have a year's worth of grocery shopping. Which is just good from the sense that not that you should take those lists to the grocery store and grab the items yourself, but to kind of put together like, oh, what was he making? Yeah, like a day. Oh, what I was he that, going to do with all that? I thought that you can use it like, oh, now you can finally eat like Sean. And it's like... <laughs> It's like, that's the draw. Like, this is what Sean eats. Now you can eat just like him. It's a lot of frozen dinners. Did you have to read trademark? I no, I did it on purpose. Because <laughs> <Okay. laughs> it's like that, you know, it feels weird yeah. to say Wizards and Warriors twice. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.